The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I want us to look at Peter today because he's talking there about how to rejoice in your trials. That's the hard part, isn't it? To rejoice in your trials. Now, trials are simply things that God allows to come into our life. It isn't because we've done something wrong. It's not because we've broken some rule or gone the wrong direction. It's just because God wants to do something in our lives, and he chooses to do it through trials. Now, what he tells us to do, that we should rejoice in trials. We should have joy when we see trials coming into our life. And the reason is because what God does in using trials in the life of every believer, he has a very specific goal in mind when he allows us to go through those kind of things. So what I want to do is look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, how to rejoice in your trials. This is what we're told to do, to rejoice in our trials. That's our responsibility to rejoice in our trials. Sometimes it's hard to rejoice in your trials because people don't want you to rejoice. I've had that experience where you try to give a good testimony for that God is at work in your life by taking you through difficult times. And some people wanted to convince you that, no, this is a horrible thing. This is really bad, and you shouldn't be happy about it. Well, the fact is that God always has a wonderful purpose in our lives when he allows trials to, uh, to come into our lives. That's why James says, Count it all joy when you, in, you, when you encounter various or variegated. That's the word for uh, Joseph's many-colored coat. You remember that? It was to demonstrate his love for his son and uh, made his brothers jealous. And uh, that's the same word. The trials are variegated. They're, they come in all different sizes and shapes. Sometimes we don't even know we're in one for a little while. But the purpose of trials is to, first of all, reveal our faith, reveal the truth about our faith. Usually when we see each other, we say, how are you doing? And sometimes we'll say things like, you know, how's your relationship with the Lord doing and so forth? Well, sometimes it's hard to be absolutely truthful because we just don't know. We don't know what's going on. Something wrong is happening and we can't quite figure it out. Well, what, what uh, James and Peter both tell us is that there is a good purpose in God allowing trials in the life of the believer. The reason is, what is he doing in your life? What's he, what is he trying to achieve? What's he trying to bring you to? Well, he's trying to achieve this, the image of Christ made in you. There would be real wholeness in you, not just holiness, that is you being set apart to God, but that you have wholeness. You have all the pieces in place because you have come to know and understand that your life before God is something that you can, you can continually rejoice in and give thanks to God for all that he brings into our life, even those things that people would say, I'm so sorry you're going through that. I've been pleading with God to get you out of that. I remember watching a, a, an interview one time on, I think it was online. I think I watched it online. And it was a man who had muscular dystrophy. He was bedfast. He couldn't get out of his bed. And uh, a woman was interviewing him. And he said several times how grateful he was for the hope he had in Christ. And so finally, uh, this woman said to him, well, what's the basis of your hope? And he said, well, the basis of my hope is sovereignty. I know that God is sovereign. That means I know that God has all authority. He can do what he wants to do. Why would that give you hope? Because God has a good purpose for your life. He tells us that. He tells us that his purpose is to conform us into the image of Christ. And uh, we know what Christ has gone through for us. And so we know that God is able to work in our lives in such a way that our response to trials becomes a great witness for us. 
There's a guy that writes a column in the New York Times. I've mentioned him before. And I, what's interesting about him is he's always uh, com- complimenting Christians. He's not a Christian himself. He says, I don't believe what they believe. I'm not a Christian, but I can't get over the fact that when you travel around the world, you will discover that, that when Christians get in trouble, when they're having real troubles, other Christians come alongside them to encourage them and to help them and to see to it that they make it through this dark phase in their life. Well, that's exactly what trials is supposed to bring. They're supposed to bring believers around us to encourage us and to incite us to rejoice with us. In fact, we're told in 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians, and he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, and he said, you know, I pray for you often because these things come to mind. And the things that came to mind, he said, was your work of faith, labor of love, and endurance and hope. Well, what that, those words actually mean, those are called uh, subjective genitives. And <laughs> what they mean is it's your work produced by faith, your labor produced by love, and your endurance produced by hope. Work, labor, and labor just means hard work. It means working to the point of exhaustion. You ladies know what that means, right? Some of us men don't exactly know what it means, but it's a, it, it, it has to do with working to the point of exhaustion. And uh, God puts things before you, and you keep trusting Him, and you keep going on, you keep trusting Him. When it seems like things haven't gone the way you expected them to go, God hasn't blessed you the way you thought He was going to bless you, and you can't figure out what's, what's happening. Well, what He wants us to do is to, in fact, He tells us this in, in the book of James, is that one of the purposes of trials is to build our endurance. Uh, endurance, hupomene, means, uh, it means to abide under pressure, quite literally. But what it's talking about is the fact that I live under these negative kind of things in trials that I go through. And he says, I want you to continue to trust and believe and rest in the promises of God. I one time received a book. It's called Always. I thought I received it here. I think we came over one night for something. There were several people here. And I went home with this book. I hope it, maybe I hope it didn't steal it. <laughs> but it's a wonderful book. It's called Always, and it's about the promises of God and uh, the fact that God has made promises, unconditional promises. His unconditional promises are those things. He says, I don't care what happens in your life, what you do. This is what I'm going to do. And one thing he said was, I'll be with you. I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you, but I'll go with you through everything that you go through. And so the promises of God are those things that God has promised to do, even in trials. Now, trials sometimes are things like sickness, uh, accidents, and those kind of things. But other times, the, the kind of trial that we face is simply that God seems absent. He doesn't seem involved in this thing at all. And uh, we're wondering, what is going on? But what he tells us to do is rejoice. You need to have counted joy when you fall into diverse trials. That is when God seems to step back and, and be absent from your life, that you ought to thank him because he is testing your faith. Now, that's what he says. He says he tests your faith through these trials. But testing means that he examines your faith. He reveals your faith through these testings so you can see the truth about your faith. What is the truth? Do I have strong faith or weak faith? You ever wonder that? I wonder that sometimes. I remember seeing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, what Paul was talking about was that he had gotten news about what was going on in the church at Colossae, and that they would, had raised up several men in leadership. And he says, ever since I got that news, I have not ceased to pray that you as a church would be filled with the knowledge of his will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that, for this purpose, that you might walk in a manner, that is, live your life in a manner that is pleasing to God in every respect. I've never got over that expression, pleasing God in every respect. Can you even imagine that? Living your life in a way that pleases God in every respect. Well, that's what he says he did. And he he did it through what we would call trials, troubles that they went through. But he used that to bring them closer to him and have a more robust faith and confidence in God. The most important thing that you have as a believer is faith, is trust, trust in the living God, that he is able to fulfill his promises. And uh, there's so many times that faith gets tested through the occasions of life that we go through. And you think, well, I was counting on God to do this, to come through in this way, and he didn't come through. And, uh, but what God does is he, he knows what we really need. This is the thing about trials. It's a time when God is giving us what we really need, what, what our need really is, how our faith needs to be developed, how we need to grow as believers, and uh, so that we could become a person that pleases God in every respect. That'd be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it, to have that upon your tombstone? They did everything that pleases God in every respect. That'd be a wonderful thing. Well, God has promised that to us. If we will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, all that means is you take the word of God and all that it reveals about God, and you take it in, and you're filled with it, which means it controls you. It makes you full and complete and lacking in nothing. And he says, if you take in the word of God to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word will there, I've mentioned this before, is the word for desire. Now, all of you understand the process of the exercise of your will. Let's say you're laying out on a hammock and it's a sunny day and this is the place to be. I I just want to lay here and do nothing. I don't want to talk to anybody. And maybe I'm going to yell and say, hey, would you bring me a cold glass of tea? And then something like that comes along and we make a decision. We decide to get up off the hammock, go inside, fix us a glass of tea and drink it. See, that's the difference between a desire and a decision. The desire is what do I, what is my nature? What what is my nature like so that I desire certain things? The reason that uh, we struggle with sin is we desire things that sin will bring, that sin promises anyway. And uh, what God wants to do is for us to understand his will, to understand what it is that Jesus Christ desires and longs for. And you can see it in the actions of his life. For example, he treats people in such a way that it, uh, it really offended the Pharisees. They hated the fact that Jesus was so quick to forgive people. He was so quick to call a person to forgiveness and to realize that they can be forgiven for the sins that have dominated their lives. Remember the Pharisee, when he invited this, this woman, came into his house and had a meal with him and Jesus. And it says that he didn't wash Jesus' feet. Now, that sounds odd, but in the first century, when you went to visit a home, they always washed your feet. That is, they had one of their servants wash your feet because you were walking on a dusty trail with sandals on. He asked Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? She's a woman of the street. You shouldn't be talking to her. She's the kind of person you should ignore and stay away from. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. The reason that she has not stopped washing my feet by her tears and drying them with her hair is because she's so grateful for forgiven sins. And that's what he was talking about. Because she did have the reputation, like the woman at the well. The woman at the well had a reputation for sin. Jesus said to her, go get your husband and bring him here. 
And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you speak the truth because you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. <laughs> and so, so Jesus knew about sin. He understood what people's need was. But isn't it amazing the way that God treats sinners? You know, this is one of the most astounding truths in the Bible, that God loves sinners. When, when the Bible says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, you have to understand that the word world was used at that time to describe the world of people that are at war with God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He says that he loved this group of people that he calls the world because they, even though their lives were affected by their lack of faith in God, he wanted to see them come to be fully human and fully his children. And uh, that's exactly why Jesus treated them the way that he did. He often offended people by, by treating people like they were worth something. I, I used to hear Jack Miller a lot. And he, Jack Miller was a teacher back at uh, Westminster in Philadelphia. And he said, uh, he would always say this. I heard him say it a hundred times. He would say, cheer up. You're worse than you think. But God loves you far more than you could ever imagine. That's the truth. The fact is that you are worse than you think, and I am worse than I think. But God loves me more than I can even imagine, far more than I thought. And he is willing to give to us the greatest gift in all the world, which is his own son. He gives us his son. And so when he takes his son, when he pulls his son away from us in these, these things we call trials, in other words, we're not aware of Jesus being in the situation. We feel abandoned. We don't know what's going on. It's because he wants to do something better for you. He wants to bring you to the place where you have real trust that endures. The word endure means to go through times when you don't have everything you need to be what you ought to be. And yet he says, I want you, I want you to endure. I want you to go through this. I want you to have faith and confidence in God, even when times are tough like this. You know, like you, things have been withheld from you and you're suffering. Maybe you got COVID. Well, guess what? God's in charge of this thing, isn't he? He is absolutely in charge of it. Jesus used a parable. He talked about a man who fell among thieves and he used the same exact word. This is what happens with trials. We fall among them. They come along. We can't find any reason why. We can't find any reason in ourselves why. Oh, it's many times we can. But the fact is what God is doing is he's wanting to refine our faith. Now, in order to refine your faith, it has to, first of all, be revealed. That's the hardest part. The hardest part about God refining your faith is that he reveals what, it, what condition it's truly in. You say you trust God. How do you trust God? Well, God takes you through trials to show you just where your faith really is. But then he also refines your faith. That it, and he uses a word, dakiman, which means uh, uh, the refining of gold. The way refining gold would work is they would get gold ore, and then they would wash it up and so forth, and then they would put it over fire until it melted. And once it melted, it became into a, a form that was a thick liquid, then they would strain out all the impurities, and they would let it harden again. That was the purification of, of gold. Well, he says the pur purification of your soul, the purification of you as a believer, comes through trials. It comes through those times when God isn't coming through for you like you thought he would. And what God is doing is he's refining our faith. 
But that first part, when he's revealing our faith, that's what I hate. When he's revealing your faith and you realize, well, I'm not near as, as spiritual as I thought. I used to think I was really mature and I really knew what I should do in every situation. But this now I realize, no, I, I have some real deficiencies and I need God to do something about it. And that's what he does. And so trials are for a good purpose. And that's why we should rejoice in trials, not because we think they're fun, not because we enjoy them, but because we know that God is at work doing what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to shape us. He wants to grow our faith and purify our faith. He wants our faith to become pure and so that our trust in Christ will dominate all of life. This is what he wants to do. Now, what I want to do is I want to look over at 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, we have a, a section of um, 1 Peter where he talks about how we can rejoice in our trials. That's really a good thing to understand and know, that you can rejoice in your trials. Listen to this. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Let me just read it to you. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while, that is temp- temporary, uh, if necessary, we have been distressed by various trials. In other words, God only brings trials when it's necessary. Have you ever needed an adjustment, spiritual adjustment? If you said no, you wouldn't be telling the truth, would you? Well, of course we do. We need adjustment. And so he says, let's see, I'm in verse 6. Who are protected by the, the power of God through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is going to finish his work of salvation. You're going to look a whole lot better. It's, it's wholeness. Holiness means set apart to God. Wholeness means you have everything that you need to be a holy person in the presence of God. The beauty of holiness is when a person understands faith is what gives him holiness and wholeness. And so God uses trials to get us to, to refine our faith, to refresh our faith, to have, cause our faith to be what it ought to be. God wants us to trust him. And he wants us to, like, you know, there are times when we look at other people and we wonder, what in the world's wrong with them? And it doesn't even cross our mind. Why am I having such trouble figuring out what I should be doing in the life of this person? Why am I having so much trouble trying to figure out how I could encourage them and help them through this? I've told you this before, this little story about a, a boy who found a cocoon, and he decided he'd like to watch this uh, thing come out of the cocoon. And so he, he took it and he, into his house, and he got him a little knife. When the thing was struggling, it was struggling to get out of the cocoon. He took the knife and he cut it and, so that he opened it up, and it wouldn't be a struggle for the thing to, uh, to come out of the cocoon. And uh, what happened was that he had no strength. He couldn't do anything. He was weak. His wings shriveled up, and he couldn't do anything. And that's when someone told this little boy what was happening. God created that cocoon for a purpose. It wasn't just for him to live in for a period of time, like we do houses. But instead, it was to work in his life in such a way that he had the strength to live and to fly. God was preparing him to fly. God's preparing you to walk in the Spirit. He's preparing you to live your life dependent upon the Spirit of God in the way that you treat people, and the way that you live your life. And so this little creature needed to go through the struggle of breaking out of that cocoon so his, he would have the strength that he needed to do what he needed to do. And so this little boy was really disturbed by this because 
he didn't realize that what he had done, he had ruined the very process that God designed. God designed the process. God has designed a process for believers, which include trials. And he uses trials for a very specific purpose. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the kind of trial you need. He knows the kind of trial I need. I don't like the ones that he gives me. Uh, But he knows what he's doing. And so what he does is he brings us through these trials in order to strengthen us and to cause us to grow and to trust him. It's amazing to me how when a believer gets, uh, you know, some kind of a medical problem or physical problem, that there's always people who want to give you some substance to start taking, that it will cure your, your problem. Now, you have no idea <laughs> what this is you're taking, but uh, because you trust people, uh, this, but then you find out that it doesn't do what it says. Well, God's work in our lives always does what he says it's going to do. We can believe his testimony. He's going to purify us. He's going to cause us to grow. He's going to cause us to come to be people of faith, of trust in the living God. And he brings all kinds of things into our life in order to develop that faith. And a lot of times there are things that we don't like at all. I don't like having to go through this. I don't like having to go through this particular situation. It seems like it's not the right thing for me to do. I think I have it figured out that if God would just run this universe the way I want it to be run, it would be a lot better. But then I discover I'm wrong. Isn't that something? Remember Fonzie on TV? And he couldn't say I'm wrong. He would say I'm ruh, 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 ruh. But he couldn't say I'm wrong. But we should, be, we should learn how to say it because let me tell you, when in the book of James, for example, James, the brother of Jesus, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and he was the head of a church council that took place uh, in, in, I think it's in Acts 25. And uh, he was the one who had the wisdom to lead things. And yet he calls himself simply a, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and of God. He's just a bondservant. What is a bondservant? A bondservant, by definition, is one who trusts his Lord, the one who, who owns him. He trusts him and he obeys him. And so this is what, what he saw himself as. He saw himself as not because he doesn't have strength because he's the physical brother of Jesus. That is, he had the same mother, but a different father. That's not why he had authority in the church. He had authority in the church because among people, because he had a relationship with Christ. Because he had a relationship with Christ, he walked in obedience to Christ. And so when he shared his heart with other people, he wanted them to know what God wanted to do in their lives and what God wanted to to produce in their lives that they were unaware of. And this is, this is what we are called to do. And it's, if you can see that it's more wholeness that, that we grow into as we grow in the Christian life, we grow into wholeness. We begin to have certain characteristics that we didn't have before. We, we begin to love people in a way that we didn't love people before. And that is a work of the Spirit of God. And so he is willing. God is very willing to allow us go through trials that we sometimes despise because he knows what we need. We need to be refined. We need our faith revealed and to know the truth about our faith, that we have weak faith, and that what we need is we need God to do a work within us so that we have the kind of faith that would glorify him and show him to be who he really is. And so this is what we want to think about today, is we want to think about the fact that even though these trials are painful, he says, you have been distressed by them. 
in First Peter chapter four. Um, and we appreciate the purpose of our trials because God is doing something. He is refining us. He's purifying our faith. And we need to also enjoy the, the effects of our trials because our trials produce certain effects that are great. They're wonderful. They're refining. He changes us. And you know how it is when you talk to somebody who's been through some more difficult times that are like the kind of things you're facing right now. It's so much better to hear from a person like that who knows exactly what you're facing, exactly what you, what you are scared of, what you're afraid of, what you're fearful for. And he gives you some good uh, biblical truth because he says, this, you got to understand, you can trust God. I remember I told you I was uh, watching this interview with a young man who had muscular dystrophy and he couldn't move or anything. And this woman, when she asked him, well, what gives you hope? And he said, the sovereignty of God, because God can do whatever he chooses to do. He has a will in which no one can stop him. He can do what he wants to do. And so here is this man who couldn't even crawl out of bed, who said, what I need is a God who is sovereign, who knows exactly what he can do in my life and what needs to be done. I I had a man ask me one time uh, that I know real well. He said, why is God allowing this? And he was going through a really difficult time, losing things that he didn't want to lose at all. And he said, why would God allow this? He knows my heart. He knows what I want, what I desire to do in pleasing him. And I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to say. But now I do know what to say because he wants your joy to be predominant. He wants you to be conformed to the image of Christ so that you can enjoy life like you can't even believe for all eternity, not just now on earth, but in eternity with the Father and the Son. He is at work in us. And so God is willing to allow us to go through pain pain in order to bring about the changes and the qualities that he knows is going to bring us true happiness and true joy. This section here in 1 Peter is all about joy. We rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You remember that? You probably have sang that song. Rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And uh, it's because he's talking in the context about trials. Why would it give you joy inexpressible and full of glory? Because you have come to trust Christ and you've come to see him as knowing exactly what he's doing. So when he takes you through this, whatever you want to call it, he takes you through these trials that are not what you want to see, not what you want to experience. But God wants you to experience it. God wants you to experience the full impact of these trials because he wants to produce wonderful things in your life. And we, we have a tendency to do this with people. We see people going through things that, I was talking to my son-in-law the other day. He has a little boy that, that uh, has got a disability, and he can't talk, and he can't walk. He's 21 years old. And uh, I've, I've talked to him many times about this, and, and uh, it was really something listening to him because we were talking about his father, his dad, who had come to faith in Christ a few years ago, and uh, how God is so good. God is so wonderful in his blessings, but he's also so wonderful in his trials because he knows exactly what we need, and he knows what it takes to change us. See, that's, I wish they would teach this in marriage class, in premarital counseling, if we could teach people how to impose the right kind of trials on their spouse, instead of just causing them pain. If they could, if they could work in, in such a way that their response to things would be bringing about real growth in the life of their spouse, that'd be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? And so... I pray that God would do that for you, <laughs> that you would, know, you would know the kind of pain that, you, that God wants to use you for in their life. 
not the kind of pain that you're actually causing right now. Because uh, a lot of the stuff that we cause, the pain that we cause, has nothing to do with God because there's no signs that he's present in our, in our attitude and so forth. This is what God says. He wants us to rejoice in our trials. He wants us to enjoy them. He wants us to enjoy them, not because they're trials, but because of the, of the, the consequence of it. What does it produce? Have you ever thought, have you ever done this where you just sit down and try to figure out what, what would I really like to be as a believer? What kind of a believer do I really want to be? Do I want to be a person who can share the gospel in real time with real people and, and talk to them about the glory of Christ and the glory of having a relationship with him through faith? If I want that, I need to ask God because he's the one to do it. But be careful because you may ask for things that are going to bring trials into your life because it's going to be through these trials that God is going to work in you in a deep and profound way and bring you out the other side of being truly prepared to be an agent of Jesus Christ in the life of the person that you want to be uh, an agent to. And so let's pray. Let's pray for the help of the Spirit of God in our lives. Our Father, we thank you today that we have been saved by faith. It is, it is a, a salvation by grace through faith plus nothing. We're grateful for that. And we ask you, O oh God, that you would work in us, that you would motivate us, Father, to see our trials as a good thing, even though we don't like them, we don't enjoy them. We would rather be without trials, and yet we understand that when you choose to work in our lives, you choose to do something deep and profound and needed in our life. We can trust you because you're our loving Heavenly Father. How we thank you, Father. It's kind of like what uh, Philippians, in Philippians 4, 6, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything give thanks. Uh, I always have always read that as, be anxious for everything. It's the only safe way to live. Just be afraid that everything's going to go bad. And instead, we have a God in heaven who sits on the throne of glory, and we can trust you. And we know that you are out to change us. You are out to conform us into the image of Christ. And so we pray that you would do that. We pray that the next trial we go through would be one in which we could give thanks. We could actually thank you for the trial because we know that there's a good effect coming. You refine us like gold, and you're able to to uh, do work in our life in a way that we can't even understand, but we can testify to. We can, we can tell others how glorious it is for God to do his work on us, even when we're uncomfortable with the work, that when we come out the other side, we realize that he has done something deep and profound, and we thank you for that, Father. Thank you for the opportunity we have to minister to other people. We think of these days that we're going through right now, and it just seems like we're so distanced from people. And, it's, and it seems like we're so alone so much of the time. But we pray, God, that you would use these days to draw us closer to you and closer to one another. Please work in our lives and help us to understand that you are prepared and you are able to work in our lives. You're able to sanctify us. You're able to work in our lives and produce endurance so that we can trust you in times that are difficult. Father, we pray that you would do this work and we would be aware of it. We pray we could testify of it. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.